government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. Marissa and, uh, sorry, <laughs> what am I saying? Peter and I are here. This is Marissa and we'll be taking you through until five o'clock this evening. Um, I will be playing an announcement shortly, um, but first of all, I just wanted to introduce the show Um and we're going to be speaking first with Anthony Kelly. And Anthony Kelly is going to be talking about the Police Accountability Project and also about a, a terrible incident that happened over the weekend where um, some people that lived next to a, a, gay, a gay bookshop um, were mistakenly identified and arrested. And Oh, can I correct that, Marissa? Yes. Oh, the police raided the, the bookshop itself. Yeah, they okay. So they raided the bookshop itself, but they but they also were arrested. Yeah, well, one guy was arrested, and there were problems with um, a guy hurting his arm. But we're going to be speaking about that, and also about police investigating police. Um, and then after that, we'll be speaking with um, uh, Ali, who is an asylum seeker and refugee, and we'll be speaking with him as well about some of the problems that he's experiencing at Mita. He's actually an inmate there. And we'll be playing lots of great music, Desert Metal included, and we'll also um, I'll also be talking about the sacred trees and what's happening in Victoria with the cultural genocide where um, the government wants to put a highway in and get rid of these sacred Aboriginal trees. It's approximately 4.01, and um, I'm just going to put on a very... A quick announcement, or have we lined up Anthony Peter? Yeah, he's lined up. All we have to do is press a button. Oh, oh, excellent. We don't have to play a, play a cart then? No. Hello, Anthony. Welcome to the program. Hello, Marissa. Thank you. It's lovely to have you. And just to a postscript to my introduction, Anthony is from Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre, and he's the Chief Executive Officer. Uh, last time I checked, Correct. That's right. Anthony, it's great to have you. I'm wondering if you could just speak about what's been, what happened over the weekend um, because even though there's been a bit of coverage in ABC News and The Age, the information is slightly fragmented. Could you just talk about what happened in the context of the misconduct of the police? Sure, sure. So at approximately 2am on Saturday morning, Saturday morning just gone, police when uh, in pursuit of a suspect uh, raided the home of two very prominent queer community members, Roland Thompson and Crusader Hillis, uh, who live above uh, the Hares and Hyenas uh, oh, gay right. lesbian, yep. lesbian bookshop and community space that they also run. Uh, and it was quite a terrifying experience by all accounts from then. They posted about it on social media um, on, the, on the day afterwards, uh, absolutely terrified, thinking that it was a hate-motivated um, gang attack. Uh, the the police um, failed utterly to identify themselves when they rampaged through the house with torches and guns drawn. Uh, they were asleep at the time. They had no idea what was going on. 
um, in the immediate vicinity. And one of the friends who was um, there at the time, uh, Nick Minopoulos, ran outside uh, in fear, thinking that it was also, uh, you know, that there was a, um, uh, a hate-motivated attack uh, on this house. And he ran outside and was immediately um, thrown to the, the pavement and uh, roughly handcuffed or restrained to the point where his arm was severely broken in multiple places. Uh, he's still in hospital. Uh, he's recovering from complex surgery. There may be more surgery uh, and he's still in a, um, you know, at an early stage of recovery from that, from that incident. Um, all people involved, as you can imagine, are you know, quite severely shocked. And um, I spoke to them on Sunday, and incredibly brave and resilient people there, of course, um, but still, um, you know, amazed that it was it, uh, it occurred and the uh, ferocity of the uh, um, what was similar to a, um, a home invasion. Mm. That is actually really disappointing. It's it's absolutely appalling. So. Using that example, Anthony, so basically the man's hospitalised, um, he's, he's having surgery, and this is as a result of the police injuring him, allegedly. Mm-hmm. So, that's, that's right, yeah. so let's talk about the implications of all this. So sure, the police are under sure. investigation over this operation, right? That's right, yeah. So very quickly the police realised that they stuffed up yeah. Um, whether that was that night or the morning after, the um, assistant commissioner pretty quickly, um, uh, you know, ordered the professional standards command to conduct an investigation. And, and of course, that's not at all adequate because that's another police unit investigating another police unit. Um, but it, it shows that already the police were on the back foot and very cognizant of, uh, you know, the blowback from... Um, this sort of stuff up. Uh, now, the, we should be it should be stated, and the the um, Crusader and Rowland, Rowland the residents at Ayers and Hyenas, uh, are really adamant in that it wasn't a targeted attack on them. The police probably did were unlikely to even know that it was a bookshop or what the residence was when they stormed in through the back garage area. Oh. Uh, and there wasn't, and they report that there wasn't any homophobic uh, commentary or anything. Um, during the raid, that wasn't the issue, and they are clear that it's an issue of, uh, of you know police brutality and um, uh, and procedures, and then and also accountability from their point of view. So, but Claire, however, go on. Oh, yep. oh, sorry, just the, you know, as yep, we know, yep. the queer community's you know been impacted by decades of absolutely uh, homophobic criminalisation for Victoria Police, and there's a long history there, and so. You know, everyone's sort of aware of that context in which this uh, raid took place. And indeed, gay people have uh, been criminalised just for being gay. I, I think there was a law removed recently, wasn't there, that, that, that they don't, they're no longer being, um, you know, having to go to prison for being gay? Well, that's right, yeah. So old uh, offences were um, expunged from the record books just for, uh, very recently. And there was also Victoria Police very recently apologised for its actions during the Tasty Nightclub raid over 20 years ago now. Um, now, that took 20 years for that apology, and it's notable that the Victoria Police uh, made a profound apology for this action uh, only today. So uh, Assistant Commissioner Luke Cornelius did a live press conference this morning where he sincerely and utterly apologised um, to the, um, the people who experienced this raid. Uh, so that's quite 
quite notable in itself and just shows the um, yeah how how police are cognizant and the, of the uh, political issues around this. So basically, residents, according to the Age, residents say that heavily armed officers stormed the apartment. So the bookshop actually wasn't raided; it was the apartment that was attached to the bookshop, and on Johnson Street. And they were searching for what residents were told was an armed member of a Lebanese gang. It's not really clear. Um, it's not. Who, it's very fragmented. That, yeah, yeah, it's very fragmented. It's not really clear who they were searching for and the ethnicity of that person and so forth. Whether that was something the police mentioned or witnesses or other people mentioned, uh, it's still unclear at this stage. Um, but it was very... The, the police have already admitted that they raided the wrong house. It was an incorrect assumption, but also they um, mistakenly identified Nick, who came out of the, the, um, um, out of the bookshop on the front street, uh, in the front street, and mistakenly arrested him. So, and you know, and using that extreme levels of bone-breaking force to do so. Indeed. So, um, uh, police have admitted already that that, that was all a mistake, uh, and that's what something that um, is also very notable. There's been. It's not also not the first time that these sort of things have happened. As I said before, that um, other families, other communities have experienced this sort of policing now over a number of years. Uh, in, only in 2017, there was a critical incident response pursuit, uh, and uh, when they were close to arresting the suspect, they mistakenly um, threw a. Uh, international exchange, uh, international student from, um, who was just in the vicinity uh, uh, threw him to the ground and arrested him to the point where he was hospitalised with a fractured jaw. Uh, so these sort of incidents have occurred before. We've had capsicum spray used on unsuspecting um, um, residents in homes that have been raided, uh, including young children and babies uh, being impacted by the spray. All sorts of things that can occur, and often without the sort of uh, attention and notoriety and, and uh, institutional response that this incident has had. Anthony, it's it's great that you've been able to give these examples, and listeners may recall that we've done some extensive um, interviewing with the centre, um, with Tamar Hopkins, with Anthony Kelly, also with the the peer advocacy worker, um, with. African youth and and basically um, I wanted to ask you a question about the police accountability project later later on in the interview but first before we get into that I'm just wondering if you could talk about the renewed calls for the state's independent broad-based anti-corruption commission IBAC Mm -hmm. could you just talk about that because it doesn't sound really feasible for IBAC to investigate this complaint of police misconduct, given that it is actually part of the police force? Isn't that about police investigating police? Uh, well, so IBAC are an independent statutory are they? body. Oh. Um, they're, they're independent from police. Right. They have a direct line of reporting to the to Parliament. Um, but, um, no, so they are independent. Police, they already have a very clear oversight role on Victoria Police. Police are obligated to um, report to them about these sort of um, uh, serious uh, incidents. Thank you for clarifying and that because I, I felt that it really seemed they seemed still a little bit biased. Right. Well, that, they they also have their own um, powers and capacity and, and um, capabilities. They can conduct their own motion investigations and prosecutions. 
into Victoria Police, and they've been doing more and more over recent years. That's good. Uh, pros- prosecuting police members, even after the uh, complaint against them has found to be unsubstantiated. So there's been a number of recent cases where they've brought police to trial and, um, and you know, laid charges on their own... Um, uh, their own initiative. So th- we're seeing improvements is the way that they're uh, operating as an oversight body. However, they still don't have the capacity to conduct um, quick, prompt and thorough investigations uh, of these sorts of incidents. They still um, sit back and rely on police to do the initial investigation and that's not not appropriate in these sort of circumstances. Exactly. That, that's precisely uh, what I was trying to say. Yeah. So they don't have the, the funding or capacity yet. Um to do the investigations to the thoroughness that we require. Now, last year, people may remember, there was a big inquiry into the police complaint system in Victoria. That resulted in a um, 69 recommendations being made to the Victorian Parliament. And the big one, the big recommendation, was the establishment of a police misconduct and corruption division within IVAC. So like a specialist-focused division within IVAC that would focus on investigating um, uh, police complaints and, you know, of serious misconduct. So that parliament, that's been sitting there um, since September last year. And in that time, of course, there's been an election and the Labor government's re-elected and they haven't moved on that uh, those recommendations yet. There's also been the Royal Commission into uh, how Victoria Police handle informants, so the Lawyer X Commission, and um, that has delayed uh, things to a certain extent. But the onus still is on the Victorian government to enact those recommendations. And there was a joint parliamentary committee. There's broad support for those recommendations. We broadly support them. Uh, and it was a very comprehensive inquiry last year that many people uh, um, made submissions to or supported submissions to, including many people who have been through the complaint system have been victims of police violence in the past. And that those recommendations are really our, um, our best hope at the moment to see the sort of police accountability in, the, um, in Victoria that we need. Thank you so much, Anthony, because I, I think that it, it can get very confusing with all these different bodies, because even though IBAC is, um, is connected to Parliament... Like you said, there doesn't seem to be a lot of leeway. And in fact, I have tried on behalf of the Do and Time show to interview um, people from IBAC and they have said that they can't because it's a conflict of interest. So how can they be independent? They're they're very careful around media work in general. Um, But also there's a lot of lessons from overseas. So overseas um, independent bodies... Uh, in the UK and others, do very thorough systemic reviews of police. Big difference. Uh, police, uh, police issues. They have, they publish very transparent reports. They yes. publish reports after each investigation, which go, which go into quite a bit of detail. And their their role is to really build confidence in the investigative process and the accountability system. Um, so, and also its effectiveness. They don't always find in the complainant's favour, of course. Um, but it's uh, something there where that the independence uh, nature of these bodies is really critical. Uh, one factor, of course, is who's staffing them. So whether it's former police uh, 
making up the bulk of the team is an issue. It's been rec- we recommend that it should be 20% or less should be former police officers and that it shouldn't involve um, former Victoria police officers, for instance. Absolutely. Uh, that's generally seen as a standard around the world that uh, it not be dominated by former police officers. Um, there's a whole range of other civilian, um, skilled civilian investigators that these sort of bodies can draw from. And, um, yeah, you know, human rights investigators and, um, um, you know, um, aircraft crash investigators and other forensic uh, investigative uh, roles. Interestingly, um, you know, the, the Age has, has quite a comprehensive article, actually. And there's, there's an interesting quote from Daniel Andrews in that article. Daniel Andrews, our, our Premier, where, whether it be professional standards or others, we will look very closely at what has happened and how it could be that what has occurred has come to pass. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, we certainly noted that as well. There's a slight change in the, um, in the language. Uh, the the, card, the uh, writing's certainly on the wall in terms of independent investigations. The uh, um, uh, Parliament is much more cognizant of um, how these issues play out. And so whether there's a lot of pressure, I think, at the moment on IBAC to come in and take over this investigation, uh, they're certainly conferring, the Professional Standards Commander are conferring with IBAC at the moment, we know. And, um, yeah, so whether or not they have the capacity, though, is the issue. And that, and that capacity issue in the, uh, is certainly in the um, hands of uh, the government at the moment. They need to uh, take this issue by the medal and... Um, enact those 69 recommendations. Absolutely. And if people wanted to look at those recommendations and read that report, Anthony, where can they go on the website? Uh, so so it's on the Victorian Parliamentary website. Uh, you can search for uh, inquiry into the external oversight of police corruption and misconduct. So it's still available on the website. It's an incredibly large, comprehensive report. Yeah, uh, yeah. And its its role is that it provides enough evidence for Parliament to act. So, um, yeah, and, and yeah, just... It's, qu- it's certainly worth, worth having a look at. For sure. And, and just quickly to, um, you know, developing your point earlier on um, about the Parliamentary Committee, about the, the, last, about the report last year... And in, in, I'm just having a look here, and, and I think that the Parliamentary Committee found the system for investigating police misconduct very complex and confusing and based on an intricate overlapping and sometimes fraying patchwork of laws, policies and processes. Mm, yeah, that's right. So if, so if people um, complain to IBAC at the moment about um, you know something that happened to them from Victoria Police, then IBAC will, in the vast majority of cases... Um, Hand, handball it back to Victoria Police to investigate. That's the problem. So they, they don't have to. They have the ability no. and the powers to decide to investigate yeah. themselves, but they don't have the capacity to do that. So Absolutely. Parliament needs to provide IVAC with the capacity and the impetus to set up its uh, dedicated division so that they can um, investigate the vast majority of serious misconduct uh, allegations that they receive. And... What, what's happening with the um, the Police Accountability Project at the moment? Can you just give a brief update about some of the work that's happening there? Sure, sure. So the, the call for independent investigations is obviously such a core part of our advocacy goals. Uh, we're also um, establishing uh, a, a police accountability project that focuses on the policing of family violence. So we have a, mm. a, a working group um, and a network established that is... Um, working on issues where police fail in their duty to protect 
uh, victims of family violence, where they might uh, not respond to uh, intervention orders, where they might further criminalise the uh, the person experiencing violence, or not not take uh, not abide by their own family violence act and protocols. Uh, and that's a really important project that we're undertaking. And of course, there's ongoing work in our efforts to stem and reduce and prevent uh, discriminatory and racialised policing. Uh, the peer advocacy team is currently seeking new members and we've got a whole series of um, events and workshops coming up planned over the next 12 months. Well, that's great. We'll have to have someone back on to talk about that and, and advertise the events. Anthony, mm, thank you indeed. so much for coming onto the program. Do you have any final comments before we finish? No, no, no. Just um, the Hairs on Here, the bookshop is obviously the latest, um, yeah. you know, community or an organisation that's experienced this sort of policing, so please support them where you can and um, um, stay tuned for um, yeah, events and other advocacy work and, and head to the Police Accountability website, uh, policeaccountability.org.au and we've got an action uh, already uh, prominent on the website where you can um, send a letter to Premier Andrews and the Police Minister and others and boost our call for independent investigations. Thank you so much. Take care. Keep up, keep up the good work. Thanks, Marissa. You too. Take, take care. Bye-bye. And that was Anthony Kelly from Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre, Chief Executive Officer, talking about police investigating police and giving an update on the Police Accountability Project. And do head to that website because, as you said, there are lots of um, events coming up um, in the next 12 months. It's approximately 4.21, and I believe that, um, that we're going to be having some music pretty soon. Yeah. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. My name is Ian Ham, and I'm the chair of the Healing Foundation's Stolen Generations Reference Group. At three weeks of age, I was separated from my birth family. And even though they lived just 50 kilometres away, I never knew they existed. I never met my mum and it pains me to this day. There are thousands of Aboriginal people just like me and our stories have never been heard. These stories form the basis of Australia's first Stolen Generations resource kit for schools. To download the kit, go to healingfoundation.org.au. A 3CR supporter. In December 2017, Tanya Day proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? 
Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And next up, we've got Ali on the line from Mita, and he's actually an inmate there at the moment. He's a, he's a refugee. We've had him on a couple of times. And Peter and I just wanted to have him back onto the Doing Time show to talk about um, some issues that he's been experiencing. Um, he does have a court case coming up, but we are unable to talk too much about that because we don't want contempt of court but we will speak generally about what's happening with Ali. Hello, Ali. Hi, hello. Hi, Hi Marissa. How are you? It's this is Ali from Mitre Detention Centre Melbourne. It's lovely to have you, Ali. Now, Ali... How have you been? Yeah, good. <laughs> really good. Good to hear your voice again. Oh, look, it's been lovely to, to chat with you. We've really enjoyed your company coming onto the show. Thank you very much. Now, let's hope that... Um, you know, the, remember last time we spoke, it was quite spooky, wasn't it? We kept getting cut off and... Remember? Yes. That was crazy. Yes. But um, Ali, I'm wondering, Chris Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective has sent out a couple of media releases um, in regards to your situation. But I yes. believe that you've been placed in isolation multiple times, haven't you? Could could you talk yes. about a bit about what's been going on? So what, what's been happening? I did go to... I, uh, to the doctor, I saw the doctor, I said I want to quit the smoke as I can't afford the smokes in this place. So I replaced, I put myself on nicotine pouches, you know, the stickers, yeah. the nicotine pouch. Mm. So I, I put myself on them. So I started going every day to the Medicare center to get this nicotine pouch sticker from all the way down to the Medicare center and come back to their compound. And uh, so I've been doing that for the last six, seven weeks. I've been doing that every day. I go 12, 35, 12, 40 uh, afternoon to the Medicare center. I pick up the nicotine pouch and I come back. As I'm coming back uh, from the Medicare center with an officer, a IT officer came from behind me and he said, he said, you can't go back to the compound yet. You have to wait everyone to finish their medication and you come back. I said, what do you mean? So where I will wait in the, in the middle of the cold outside and uh, it was rainy day. Uh, he said, uh, you, can, you, can, you can lock yourself in the holding room. Uh, so there's a little room like just two meter by two meter. Uh, holding room. He want to lock me up there. I said, but I'm already at the door of the compound. Just open the door and let me in. Like I'm already at the door of my compound, yeah. which is my room only 50 meter, 30 meter away from me. Just let me in. And that's it. He said, uh, he started yelling at me and said to me, uh, his section leader, ERT, he started yelling at me and said, uh, you don't run the show in here. I run this this uh, joint. You don't run anything in here. That's to be clear. And le- let's go and stop uh, and stop pushing me to the holding room. I said, and where is this attitude coming from? All I said that, and then boom, I'm on the floor, knocked out on the floor, and then uh, and then he pulled my fingers 
opposite way make my nails touching my 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 hand like you broke my fingers uh so now i have to go i done the x-ray and the doctor called me up he said the little the little finger and the next one to it is broken and out of place and because it's been three weeks like that we have to send you to plastic surgery to actually like hand people they they make your hand numb and then re-break it and, and re-put it back again and then plaster it. So I'm waiting now the booking to go actually to the hospital in Melbourne. I think Epping, Epping in uh, Northern Hospital, I'll be going hopefully soon. I'm not sure what the procedure with them. I've been waiting. This is my third week. I'm, I'm just cutting my bro- broken fingers and, and walking around and I can't use even my right hand because of that. And I'm still just waiting. And then they didn't do nothing to him. The next day he's here. The next following day he's here. He's and he keep giving us hard time, keep bullying us. And uh, I've been putting against him a lot of complaints. We went on hanging strike one day just to protest against him, and they didn't do nothing about it. Uh, Border force and. Uh, uh, we signed petition all detention center against him. We said he's a really violent person. They didn't do nothing about it. This is only one one shift. So here they have four shifts. So every three days it change shift. The morning shift it change and the night shift it change, and it's like that. So three days, morning shift, uh, three days and the three uh, three nights another shift. So they have four shifts staff. Which is uh, four managers, four uh, four operation manager, four head security like that. They have four yeah. staff shift shift to actually operate the place morning and night times. So four shifts. One of the shifts that's the one always making the incidents. It's only one shift in the whole detention center making it harder. So one shift acting really recklessly, uh, the behave not good. And uh, most of them actually, they they just bad, bad attitude, push yeah, you, yeah. assault you. And uh, when the manager comes, they don't say the truth what happened. They'll accuse you. They'll say stuff it never happened before. Like, I'll I be mean, just like uh, flushing. It's like when one, one of, of the incidents in the food mess, uh, uh, and then the manager came, he started talking to them. When the way he was talking to ERT, it never happened like that. It never happened like that. It's, it's all came up from his head, the story, and telling the manager about me, make me look. I'm the I'm the guilty one hundred, hundred and one percent, and he's an innocent person like Angel. But see, and Ali, it's, it's, the thing is, yes. from what you've been saying, you've given us a very, very thorough um, account of what's happened. Um, yeah. There is a concern. There's several concerns here. There's a concern about duty of care. So looking at mm-hmm. your health and looking at um, attending to your injury, which hasn't really been attended to, that's one issue. Not, not yet. Yeah, so there's a duty of care. And there's also, um, you know... Not the fact metered detention centre. That's right. A duty of care of metered detention centre and also the fact that the guards have not been the guard has not been held accountable for this yeah. situation. Um, it's it's really quite appalling. Yeah, it's it's, it's really really bad. It's just the condition here in the human the the life 
livable and human. And this is very, it's very sad. Like make me like I, I feel like I want to like just scream and and cry in the same moment for what is happening here at the front of me, and I can't do nothing about it. I feel like powerless of what happening to the detainees of bullying and assaults and all this kind of stuff. And I, I just feel so sad inside me when I see a human being, what he's doing to another human being. It never it never came up in my actually side of even flush one second moment. Never ever I, I will come up like to Melbourne actually detention center and I see that. I've been in many detention centers before. I don't say they're perfect, but less, less violent, less stuff happening than here. This is really, really worse. It's the worst detention center I have ever been in is MITRE detention center. And I win my case. I, I did go to federal court and I win my case. And the judge said we can't deport him to, to danger, which is Iraq's ongoing war, war against ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Taliban and all this kind of stuff happening in there. And uh, I already saw physically uh, on my body injured from back in the days when yeah. I was in Iraq, like shot in the leg, shot twice in the chest. So they already know that. And they can't deport me. So he, the judge, written up a letter said he won the case as bent on uh, section blah 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 number uh, on he can't get deported to Danja. So I can't go back there. So if I can't go back back to my country, and I can't uh, and I can't and I can't get uh, out getting visa, what does that mean? You're killing taxpayers' money on me here, or just giving me hard time. What do you want me to do? Just commit a suicide in here. So you're what, being what do you want kept, me to do? You're being kept there indefinitely in detention. Yeah, now now it's technically I'm in definite detention centre because they don't want to release me and they don't want to send me back to my country. So I'm technically I'm in in a, in a, what they call it in limbo. A, a limbo, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, thank you. Just in the, in the middle of uh, two politician or two politics. And I'm in the middle of it. Politics of the side of my country of war ongoing, non-stop of it, and politics of the minister and the immigration and border force and circle. So I'm stuck in between a human being. They actually hiding like the the picture of them. You see it as they are human being, but they have absolutely no mercy in their hearts because if they have mercy. In their hearts, they will look into my uh, family. They looking on my mother. Like I call my sister, she's always crying. I call my sister, she say, "Oh, my mom crying about you." Always, I lose her in the house. We look around in the house. I find her in your bedroom, pulling all your stuff from the cupboard, all your clothes on the floor, and sitting crying and smelling them. Like, Where is your mother? Making, hey, in Perth. She's in Perth. Yeah, so all my family in Perth, and I'm in Melbourne, and even my court case in Perth. What I'm doing in Melbourne, you bring me here just to actually cause me uh, court cases, and that I can't mention all that kind of stuff now. But no. it will be soon, uh, soon as end of it and uh, finishing it off. Uh, it will be actually, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put it up definitely the whole uh, full story of it. We can't mention now. The no, court no, no. Yeah. 
it's still yeah. it's still pending on that. But yes, of course. It's, it's really bad. Like you bring me here for a reason, just to put me actually to shut me down of what I'm trying to show the public of Australian. We are. I didn't come by boat. I came by a plane. Like I, I'm I'm a, I'm a asylum seeker refugee came by United Nations. So I didn't come by boat no. and I forced myself into the country or anything like that. So all I'm asking is is them to look about other people who suffering from their mistake, not only from my uh, from my point. Exactly. And then every time I talk to them, or oh, whatever you want us to do for you, or talk to you, or anything, we can't say anything to you until you shut down your five four one circle on ERT page. I said, why? What's, what's that to do with you? I said, listen, you actually, to the manager last time I, I was talking to, top manager of this place on Border Force, uh, three days ago I was talking to them. Uh, I said, listen, you should actually be happy I'm exploding corruption in this place and you should stop it and you should help me to stop this kind of stuff, not actually going against against it and stopping it. He said, yeah, but you're showing it to public. I said, so what does that mean? So if I show it to public and, and showing the real reality what we are suffering in detention center, that wrong and make me wrong, but your staff is actually the angel? It's, it's just I not understand. fair. Look, Absolutely, it's, it's not fair. Ali, it, it really is a dreadful situation. And I think that once all your court cases are finished, I'd like to have you back on the show. And you yes. can t- tell you can't tell us your story now because there's so much happening. Yes. But maybe I'm hoping that one day you do get your visa back and that you can actually come into the radio station. Yes. You never know I, what can I, happen. Of course, if if I if I actually I, I would love even if they do actually interview with me on on the TV actually by video they want me to make a video I would love that even. So people actually see the reality inside how we're living, yeah. how we're living life. Like my mother, I called her, I said, Melbourne is very cold. She sent me a blanket. She buy it from Kmart, a yeah. $30, $35 blanket. Yeah. Yep. It came up here. The manager refused it entry to me. Why? And he said, because it's a fire hazard. I said, so the donor you've given me. It's 100% what? cotton, but it's a little one. It's not fire hazard, or the clothes in the room what? is not fire hazard, or the carpet uh, the carpet is not fire hazard, or the mattress or the pillows. Just a blanket of my mom sent me is a fire hazard. It's cold, mate. I want a, I want a blanket to keep myself warm. He refused it. Now my bla- blanket, brand, brand new, sitting in the property, doesn't want to give it to me. They don't want to give, it me, give me their blanket. So do you have a lawyer that can work on these things, Ali? Well, without giving any names, of course, on air. I don't, I don't have any lawyer. I, I, I know I don't mention names and that, but I don't have. A, I have lawyer about the court case is, is ongoing now and here in Magistrate Court, and I have a lawyer about immigration, about my immigration matter. But the immigration matter, my lawyer said, is nothing we can do. There is no court date. There is no court. Uh, mention or hearing for you or anything we just winner from federal court and we we don't know we just floating my file is with the minister or with immigration or with border force or with circle i don't know nothing all i know is my file is ready just to sign and then release me but they don't want that and i'm just stuck in here so it's just really 
horrible situation what they're doing and and what we are suffering from and uh, then yeah. they say it's duty of care and all that kind of stuff it's not it's not true all they care about killing taxpayers money absolutely uh, and in fact ali I was, when we when go on we're going to say finish that's right yeah. we're going to yeah. say <laughs> i was talking to i was talking to the greens uh, Political party, as you know, is the only people who wanted to, to actually release the, the refugees from detention centers because yes. it's, uh, it's costing too much the government money. So I was talking to them. They sent me a T-shirt of them to the detention. Today in the morning, I went to pick it up. They refused it entry. They said what? it's not... Is not uh, you're not allowed to have that T-shirt because it's a, a political party. It's like uh, so? a bikey member is not allowed to have a, a, a T-shirt written a bikey blah 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 uh, name of the club or something. It's a similar to that. The officer stated to me, so I'm not allowed to have even that shirt. <laughs> okay. It's just a T-shirt said they're green. That's it. They're green. <laughs> yeah, they're green. The green. Not allowed to have it. Yeah. What? So the greens are a gang. Is that what they're uh, well, saying? Uh, he said a protocol party. A protocol <laughs> party not allowed to have their shit. I said, this is ridiculous. So you controlling me eating. You controlling me sleeping. You controlling my movement. You controlling even well what I wear. Next minute, I said, is that mean by uh, probably by time, by uh, probably next year, I have to put a request permission to the manager to have actually a shower in my own room. Ali, are you out of isolation now? Uh, yeah, they took me out finally after isolation, after I, I, I start sending letters and emails to ombudsmen and this and that and all that kind of stuff. They took me out of isolation. Isolation here is uh, actually uh, it's wrong because isolation never be a solution to calm you down. Isolation is a room, just a bed with a toilet next to you. In, in the room, and the light stay on all night, all morning. Light it never goes off in the room. So it will it drive you crazy. You don't have TV to watch. You don't have friends to talk. You don't go out for a smoke. You don't go out of the door because the door is locked on you. And they lock you up there. Last time they locked me up there was six days. Straight six days, and I wasn't doing nothing. I only sitting down in my bed, and I'm just waiting for them. Like, what's going on? What's happening? And they took my phone away from me on that time. Why? Uh, they make excuse. They said, "Oh, because if we leave the phone with you inside the room, maybe you're going to break it and get the glass out of the screen, and maybe cut your neck or cut your oh wrist or something." God. So you're not allowed. The rules in the, in in isolation, you're not allowed to have the phone for your own safety and duty of care. I said, "Come on, man! You you you're using that excuse." But you actually don't want me to have the phone for different executors. You're using that kind of excuse. I think, Ali, what needs to happen, and we won't talk too much about that right now, but yeah. we need to have a chat off air um, and, and perhaps we need to come in and visit you and we need to compile a list of all these things that have happened and work out a way that we can advocate on your behalf to, um, or someone has to advocate on your behalf to get your blanket and also to get other things. We need to have a look at what's going on here. It's yeah, approximately... They don't, they don't listen. 
It's yeah, they, they will never listen. Oh, I doubt it. We never know. I never say never. It's approximately four forty-five, and this is the Doing Time Show. The Doing Time Show is a show that has people on like Ali that are deprived of a voice in um, yeah. lots of other media outlets, and we've got him here um, talking about. Mita. And in fact, Ali, Peter and I visited uh, visited Mita. I used to visit Mita quite a lot. And back at that time, we were allowed to bring in food. I used to bring in lentil soup. We used to um, no, no. bring in flatbread and people used to sit around uh, and eat. And it doesn't that doesn't happen anymore? No way. Now only no? you're allowed to bring sealed up chocolate or chips or yeah. something and a fizzy drink bottle. Unhealthy. That's the only thing you're fizzy allowed drink? to drink anymore. Fizzy drink? Fizzy drink, like a Coca-Cola or lemonade. Oh, my God. Uh, just a, a plastic bottle, not keen. That's a heart attack in a bottle, that one. Yeah, so like <laughs> used to be back in the days, my mum cooked me food from home and bring me and I eat with her. Yeah. And uh, when I used to be back in Perth, and they cancelled all that. They cancelled it. What for? It's like, what harm to you? I'm eating a good food. Yeah. It's like I, to- I told them last time in here, I said, You've not given us enough food. You've make us suffering. You make us starving. You make us hungry, and you don't want you don't want us even our family send us food or money to buy stuff. What what do we do? What do you want us to do? I just want to know what we have done to get treated like that. And people here, believe it or not, every person in here, which is there is little bit people not being in jail, just being outside, a little bit being in jail. The people being in jail said, this is worse than jail and I wish I go away with my visa in jail. Well, actually, you serve your time in jail and it's, it's you know, it ends. Now, yeah. Ali, time's starting to run out. Are there any final comments that you wanted to make? And we can certainly have you on again next time. Thank you very much. I, I much appreciate it. And thank you for Peter for actually always call me and update with me and and uh, talk to me. And he's a really great friend like That's you. Right. Uh, and you've got really nice heart to actually look after people who need the help. And uh, yeah, we're just seeking justice, seeking mercy against people and against humanity. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ali. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Take care. Thank you, Peter. See you. Bye. Bye. And that was Ali, refugee um, from Iraq, speaking about his experiences in Mita and having a look at some of the atrocious conditions in there. And also, just as a final comment before we move on to some music, that he was speaking about the light being on um, in the cell. That is actually a form of torture to engineer um, sleep deprivation um, in in the cells. They're not they're not bedrooms. They're cells. It's approximately four forty eight, and you're back with the Doing Time show. And it's four fifty three. We're nearing the end of our show. Um, thank you very much to Ali for um, coming onto the show, and also to um, to Anthony Kelly as well. Before we do um, conclude the show, I just wanted to quickly talk about the sacred trees um, that are hopefully are not going to be destroyed but are potentially will be destroyed in Victoria. And these are um, Aboriginal trees. The proposed Western Highway extension will destroy high cultural and natural values, including trees that have been culturally modified by Dijap Warung traditional owners for up to 800 years. And sorry, what I meant was that the, these trees are very significant 
to Aboriginal people. I mean, all the land is Aboriginal, basically. But um, over 70 um, elders, traditional owners and their supporters have been meeting on country over the months to reaffirm their commitment to protect the 800-year-old sacred trees standing in the path of the Andrew government's Western Highway extension between Beaufort and Ararat in Victoria's west. And the embassy that's been created what it needs is hoping to prevent bulldozers moving in to destroy the trees. And um, it's been in place now for over 10 months, that embassy. So a little bit of an update there that um, I have spoken to a couple of a couple of the people there that at the camp and I've been informed actually that um, the trees are not protect, protected under state legislation. There's actually been a series of court cases and now um, it, hopefully it's, it will be protected under federal law. The injunction I think runs out on Wednesday so I'm hoping that um, the campers will will not be will not campers. The traditional owners will not be evicted. There's been a camp there for many months, and just a call out to listeners that if they if they can if they can go down there to the camp to support. And there's and there's also um, an Aboriginal leader. What's his name, Peter? Be, um, Sorry, oh. there's an Aboriginal leader that was actually put in prison who was on the front lines of the camp, Um, DT, that's it. Um, And he's actually in the Melbourne Assessment Centre for really minor offences. So they're actually trying to take away the the people that um, are giving a voice to this campaign. So just wanted to give a quick update um, and just to encourage people to go on Facebook, have a look at what is happening with the embassy, see if they can go down on Wednesday, in case the police um, do move in to forcibly remove um, remove them, the the elders, and so we're hoping um, that the trees are not destroyed and that other alternatives can be found um, for for this for this um, highway. It's approximately four fifty six. We've got about one minute before we're out of here. <laughs> and, yeah, Beyond Zero is coming up next. And tune in every Monday from 4 to 5 um, for the Doing Time show. And just a, a, a shout-out to everybody inside. And and just to say, for inside and outside, let's take care of each other. Let's help each other. You know, we, we've all, we all need to take care of one another. So we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella. Um, by the Rumpy Band, and don't forget to watch Four Corners tonight. Um, they're going to be eight thirty. Eight thirty. There's a special on youth incarceration and how they're putting young people into adult prisons, and we're hoping to bring you some interviews um, about that in the coming weeks. So it's goodbye from Marissa and Peter, and we'll see you next Monday um, for the Doing Time Show, four to five. See you. See ya.